0: And you know, jr well, I'm on my
1: second bottle tonight,
0: well, I mean, you know, nurse it long and hard, I get wait, that sounded bad anyway, hey, are you crazy, Mel, you
1: said that
0: hey are you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the blasters and blades podcast just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies a place where magic is king the sky is the limit and space is the place the podcast where we put the fun and dysfunction so without further ado mr matthew hellman can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers
2: Sure, my name is Matthew Hellman. I'm the author of The Biting Cold, a book that comes out on February 25th. Uh, it'll be available in bookstores wherever you live. I've also uh, written the novel Solomon's Seal and a novella called The Hawthorne Blow. And I currently live in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, so we're buried in snow right now.
0: Okay, snow is bad. The white devil, snow is, I hate it. <laughs> Are you a it's snow fan like, from the sky? Yes.
2: I like the snow. My wife loves it. Of course, I'm the one doing the snow blowing when, uh, when I can't get my teenage son to do it at least. <laughs>
0: okay. Having never used a snow blower, the few times we got snow, I had to actually use it shovel the old fashioned way. Does it make it easier and manageable or is it still a suck fest?
2: Eh, it's still kind of a suck fest. It's, it's not nearly as bad as it would be without it though. I can tell you that, um, We we just got about 24 inches over the last two days, so yeah, having to move that by hand, no thanks.
0: So I suppose I shouldn't rub it in and tell you I just had to turn my air conditioning on.
2: (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. You know what?
1: Okay. I've shoveled snow, but I've never gotten a chance to use a storm snow blower. Our drill sergeants wouldn't let us do that. (laughs) Oh God!
0: How rude of them!
1: All right, so this is the part next. Next You know they're going to say this to make our lives miserable. Well, that's their
0: job by definition. So this is the part of the introduction where we tell you how we first found them. So I'm pretty sure that Matthew came to us through Mel Todd, a friend of the show. But uh, Doc, did you meet him at some clandestine uh, Dragon Con bar operation? We can't
2: talk about that. That would be classified. Yeah, that's all all classified. Can't talk about it. All
0: right. All right. Well, what happens at the Dragon Con bar stays at the Dragon Con bar. I understand.
1: (laughs) Don't bring home anything you can't wash off.
0: (laughs) That's solid life advice, generally speaking. As a sergeant in the Army, I gave it to my Joes a lot. And don't (laughs) marry her just because she says she
2: loves you. (laughs) All right. I'm already taken anyway.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm
0: taking too.
1: Yeah. I I was actually. A wine lady
0: would really be upset with me. (laughs) <laughs> I was speaking more of the advice I gave the Joes because, you know, sometimes they like to go to certain establishments and you get enough liquor in anybody and tricares just flow in. It just, it's an ugly thing. But, Doc, save me from these horrible stories on our family-friendly show and ask the religion question.
1: Okay. In order to prevent Jr. from having flashbacks to his misspent youth, which one would you prefer? as Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly?
2: You know, uh... If it were just between Star Wars and Star Trek, I'd have to go with the Star Wars just because uh, I didn't follow Star Trek that much. And uh, and the world building didn't seem quite as coherent as, and I'm talking about the original three Star Wars now. But with that Firefly in there, I got to go Firefly. The, the characters are so huge and strong and uh, the world is complex and need it's, it's
1: makes sense does that it make does.
2: It and, does and make you're sense.
1: like okay i can see a correlation from this to that like there is you can see that there are some dots that you may not know between the a and the f you know
2: yep absolutely and the characters is what really made it for me on that one
1: so the characters are amazing um uh, but-
0: and No matter what they tried over there at Fox, you know, they can take our love, they can take our land, but they cannot take me where I cannot stand. (laughs) Is it sad that I know the lyrics? Yes, indeed. (laughs) So much of you is so sad, Jr. It's okay. I do what I can. It's just my little charm. It's what I add to the universe. So speaking
1: of characters, uh, which one would you pick for fantasy, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or The Wheel of Time?
2: Uh, well, I like them all, but I got to go with Lord of the Rings. Kind of a, its original, just um, you know, it was just groundbreaking, and and it it always will be. I got to go, I got to go uh, Lord of the Rings all the way.
1: Very classy, very perfect. So we, as you know, and anybody who's listening should realize by now, we love both our sci-fi and our fantasy. But which was your first love?
2: Fantasy is what captured me originally. Uh, And it was essentially uh, a book I picked up. I I was late to develop a good reading habit. And it wasn't until we were going to go on a, you know, nine hour trip. And I thought, man, (laughs) you know, back then we didn't have handheld video games or handheld uh, movie players, anything like that. So I was in a bookstore and I just kicking around and I picked up a copy of, uh, Terry Brooks's, uh, sort of Shannara and I tore Ooh, through that look. thing. In the yeah, tore through that thing in the car. And that's, that really kicked it off for me.
0: So when you were younger, did you get any of those choose your own adventures that were, were popular once upon a time? That oh yeah. where I, I cut my teeth. Uh, the lone wolf ones.
2: Oh yeah. Definitely did choose your own adventures. Uh, I did read a, a little bit of sci-fi but I just kind of kept coming back to the fantasy.
0: Okay. That's uh, that's that's always good. Like I said I um and if you're watching this on YouTube you will know I had shared the lyrics to the song because I'm that much of a nerd uh, just to prove I knew them. So, there's that people. But don't ask me to remember why I went to the kitchen cuz that's a bridge too far. So, all right, so we've talked about, you know, your love of, of fantasy, but what was your first memory of engaging with it? Was there any one particular property um, that was the first for you? Or was it Shannara? Uh,
2: Shannara? was was really what kicked it off. But, yeah, I did, as, you know, uh, a child play the – or do Dungeons and Dragons. That kind of really opened up my imagination because uh, that was something that was, you know, all done in your imagination um and i did that for you know a couple years didn't get super serious about it just enjoyed playing it uh but the reading uh the Shannara books really got me going and i of course lord of the rings uh was actually the second set of books that i read in the fantasy genre Uh, but yeah, so it was it was the books and and D and D, if you will, that uh, really got me got me interested in kind of the speculative fiction.
0: Okay, so what is it about speculative fiction as a genre that you love so much?
2: The fact that you can create whatever you want, um, you can create the rules. Uh, you are the the god of whatever universe you want to create. Uh, so physics can be different. Uh, <laughs> you know, math could be different if you want. Uh, and I really like to be creative and think outside the box. And, uh, so I enjoy authors who can, can write like that and draw you into something that doesn't actually exist, uh, and make you feel like you're there.
0: You no, know, just for a point of clarification, if you're listening at home they create your own math, I tried that in school when I got something wrong. I told them, no, I was just inventing new math uh, and they did not believe me. So I did not pass. So just remember, when you create your own math, it cannot be an actual math class. It doesn't work.
2: Good, just, good point.
0: Just thought I'd clarify all you, you people listening at home. Um, so how did your love of speculative fiction of, of the, the genre that is transition into you writing stories in that space?
2: Well, I uh, essentially, you know, I guess if you look at the old uh, writer's trick of asking what if, (laughs) I would find myself doing what ifs that would immediately launch me into a a different world, something that didn't exist, something that uh, was new and unheard of, if you will. And that's kind of what pushed me in that direction was simply every time I asked those, what if questions, it wasn't something coming back to, uh, you know, a serial killer or, um, historical fiction where, you know, you're putting a different twist on things that really happened. It always took me into like the supernatural, uh, or science fiction or fantasy realms.
0: Oh, forgot to unmute myself. That's a, that's an excellent answer. All right, doc. You got to top that with the next question. Can you do it?
1: So a lot of authors have real life experiences that really form who they are as storytellers. Can you give us any specific ones that you might have had?
2: Sure. Um, I was probably about 14, 15 years old and deer hunting in Wisconsin. And if you've never been in the woods, when it's getting dark, uh, it's, it's a unique experience, especially if you have a creative imagination. And I was sitting there. And the darkness kind of encroaches from the horizon on a slow, steady pace. Uh, and you know, you have to be out of the woods before it's dark, but it's, you know it's getting pretty pretty dim uh before you're out of the woods and i was sitting there and all of a sudden i heard an ungodly sound uh i think it was probably a rabbit screaming probably got hit by an eagle or an owl or something and it was making a racket and whatever had it was taking it through the woods at an incredible pace so it went from about my two o'clock position all the way around to 11 in about three seconds and be just beyond the horizon (laughs) the hair on the back of my neck stood up and you know i had that chill and it was just like wow that was creepy and that feeling was something that i was like man how do you capture that with words? How do you capture that on paper? Uh, and that was something that I, I try to capture when I'm writing a scene that I want to really kind of creep people out. I, I try to put myself in the situation and what would really, what would trigger all those senses to heighten? What would trigger the senses to, you know, your, your eyesight to start narrowing? your pulse to quicken, the, the hairs on the back of your neck to stand up and so forth. So that particular event uh, certainly helps shape the way I write.
0: Okay. So it's the, the ability to um, describe and, and feel all of the sensory data. That's that's what is often left out by new authors. So it's, it's interesting that that's what sh- would draw you in to start with.
2: Yeah, it's, it's something that, like I said, when I, I read uh, good good writing, if if they can elicit those feelings in me, uh, that's something I, I strive to do as well. And uh, I've had other experiences that I can't <clears throat> really talk about that were just chilling. And, uh, and I can't talk about it because it, it was work-related, uh, but it was... Uh, Chilling and really kind of made me scratch my head. Let me put it that way.
0: Okay. Well, speaking of uh, work-related, uh, normally we would ask people about their time in the U.S. You know, if they served in the military, not necessarily U.S., uh, because that You're does affect the country. question. You. Well, I wasn't. Mm, I, we worded it different, and I wasn't sure. Sometimes you don't like those. Uh, I can't believe you, didn't answer you me. Are you sure? I mean, I heard you went to Georgia College. That That's not like, it's like a real college. JR. Oh, going to hunt me down and kill me in my sleep now. Considering where exec- you won,
1: I don't think you have any room to say anything. And I have two degrees as opposed to your one, so I trump you.
0: No, that's just because you failed to commit. All right, ask the question. I committed.
1: <laughs> many, many acts of sleepless nights.
0: Matt, uh, it's, and- it's like going to work with your sibling. You just bicker nonstop, but people like listening to it, so it's all good. That's I good. will
1: beat you with my shoes. And they're stinky, and they're covered in chemicals. So, well, you'll speaking st- of senses, I guess. So, <laughs> um, y- while it's not military, we love the law enforcement as long as it's not coming for Jr.'s grammar. He's good. Um, <laughs> so, you ser- your. Bo- you've mentioned that you served in the uh, law enforcement with all of those fancy alphabet people. So, uh, do you feel like your time? over there has affected the stories you tell?
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, (laughs) being in in federal law enforcement, uh, especially uh, being able to investigate a variety of crimes and violations, uh, you meet so many different personalities and different types of people. we're obviously exposed to a lot more of the dregs of humanity as well, so that um, can affect how realistic you can make a character. And honestly, sometimes I uh, worry about being too too blunt, if you will. Uh, I, I don't want to write anything that like gore, if you will. Uh, I'd like to keep things frightening and, and scary, but without being gratuitous in in the gore and slasher type stuff. But yeah, we've, I've met so many, uh, well, oh, just characters, characters, um, that, well, you know, if you think of silence of the lambs, you know, the Hannibal Lecter type, um, uh, and I, I mean, I've met and arrested, uh, people who, you know, you would never want to talk to or touch or look at, uh, because of the nature of the violations they've committed. Uh, but I've also, um, met people who are incredibly smart, um, who are not criminals. Uh, so it can really, really open up the avenue of. The type they...
1: of people you're meeting
2: for yeah, sure. Yeah. So, and it's, it really, and even the people I work with, uh, there's so many different characters that I work with that uh, sometimes I find out that I'm, you know, as I'm writing something, I'm like, wow, this sounds just like so-and-so uh, and I have to kind of tweak it a little bit just to make it uh, diverge a little bit from uh, reality.
0: So he's mentioning diverging from reality. So the the actual experience you have as a law enforcement agent, does it make it hard for you to watch the cop type drama shows?
2: You know, yeah, it kind of does. Uh, like, I'm sorry, but law and order just, I just shoot me. Um, it, <laughs> I understand it's a great show and I've, I've seen episodes and I've been entertained, but it, it's moves along so fast and skips over so much, uh, that needs to go on behind the scenes that I, I kind of get frustrated with it. And even, uh, you know, I've spent the majority of my uh, career working counterintelligence cases. So reading, uh, Robert Ludlum or, you know, Tom Clancy, you know, there are certain things where you just go, eh, <laughs> you know, you, you, it's a little tougher when you know uh, what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, if the writer doesn't do it justice, it, it kind of, it damages the story for me. Um, so I, I, that's probably why I like the, you know, the fantasy is science fiction because it is complete a complete escape for me from uh, my, my everyday life.
0: All right. Well, we, we normally ask uh, what, so you mentioned that you met a lot of interesting people at the Bureau, both on the right and the wrong side of the badge. So do you ever draw from those people, even if subconsciously, do you think when you're writing characters?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, There, excuse me, there have been, some criminals uh, that were just so brazen uh, that you couldn't help—you know, you can't help but to identify them as a very strong character, and that's you know one of the things uh, you strive for as as a writer is to create strong characters. Uh, and within the bureau, you know, on the on the right side of the badge, if you will. Uh, We have such a unique conglomeration of people that it's sometimes fiercely entertaining to kind of use some of them as bases for a character uh, based on their personality types. I mean, you know, if you have someone who's a real director who will, you know, tell you, go here, do this, do that, and, you know, not hesitate and just you know, kind of a hard charger versus someone who's more of a thinker who, uh, you know, maybe is planning something and and they come up with just about every possible uh, contingency you can imagine, you know. (laughs) Uh, You know, so those might be two extremes where one is like, let's kick the door down and take them out. And the other one, well, you know, let's have people at all these different locations in case this happens, in case that happens and you bring those two together and you come up with, uh, you know, your typical plan that, uh, operates quite well for the first one minute until <laughs> like every, every plan, right. Uh, coast to pot about 30 seconds in, but those people, uh, and the people I work with are rich, rich with, uh, qualities that I can draw from for characters, and, and for situations, the stories that, that we tell each other sometimes are fodder for uh, books because some of them are so unique. <laughs> uh, some of them are entertaining. Some of them are terrifying. Uh, some of them are, eh, frankly, depressing. Uh, but you can tweak them to a fictional setting and, and get good storytelling out of it.
0: So it does, speaking of storytelling, it does make me wonder how many people have watched shows like Law and & Order and CSI and think, now I know how to get away with the perfect crime and got caught because TV wasn't real.
2: Oh. <laughs> I can see that, yeah.
0: I have a, uh, a detective in the family who says his first stop these days is because idiots post everything online. Like, oh, okay, he just confessed on Facebook or whatever.
2: Oh, that's a so, fact. The social media is full of knuckleheads, I can tell you that. And it's, I'm
0: of an age where I remember the Cold War and, you know, loose lipstick ships and, and you don't want the government spying on you. And now people are like, oh, Mr. Government, please spy on me harder because I want to put it on the Internet.
2: Well, that's just it. You know, uh, you hear a lot of people complaining about their privacy, but they put their whole lives on social media and, and it just makes you scratch your head and go, all right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, that's why, I'd like, the people like, oh, I, I want privacy, but let me put Alexa in my house so it can spy on me.
2: Oh, yeah, yep.
0: Sorry, Bezos. <laughs> so we've talked about how your time in the FBI has affected the way you tell stories, and it was an enjoyable experience listening to you. Um, but does it uh, – and you talked about not being able to watch cop shows because the procedural stuff, they get it wrong. But other than that, does it affect how you engage with content as a general rule or only when it pertains to law enforcement? Issues.
2: Well, um, there's a couple of things. Uh, yeah, with with writing, if if I get into anything that touches on, you know, a law enforcement procedural, that obviously has to go through uh, an approval process with the bureau uh, before it can be published to make sure we're not, or I'm not. Putting out anything that is uh, closely held or what have you. Uh, but that's part of the reason I also like going into the speculative fiction where I'm creating a world I can avoid the law enforcement aspect altogether uh, so I don't have to go through that approval process. I mean, the Bureau doesn't care if you're writing, you know, fantasy or a horror novel. if Uh, there's nothing, you know, FBI sensitive in there. Um, but it's, it's listening to it, watching it, uh, you really do appreciate when they get it right. I'll tell you what, and, and more and more, they do get it right because, uh, authors and writers of screenplays do better research. Now they, they talk with people who are, are doing the job. So they do get it right most of the time. But every once in a while, there is a whiff where you just go, oh, really? Come on, you know, you did everything else right. You know, how did you mess that up? That one was simple, or at least in my opinion, simple. You know, uh, to the lay person, they may never realize that it was a mess, but yeah, uh, so it, it's, it's interesting to see how, Uh, different writers of all media put the stories together that uh, are supposed to kind of represent what I do. Uh, It can be frustrating, it can be entertaining, it can be funny, uh, but they are getting better at it. I can give them
0: that. I think one of the things that has helped is the government agencies writ large have realized that fiction can be good uh, marketing and so they have been more willing to reach out to authors that had questions and answer them with as much non-sensitive information as, as possible. So it's not unheard of to be able to just call the FBI, you know, PR office and be, or fill in the blank organization and be able to actually get some of the answers from the source, oh, absolutely. which I think has made a huge difference. Yep. So, um, And, and the funny thing is that sometimes you could be too good at it and then you'll end up with people calling you. So, for instance, the uh, people with you mentioned Tom Clancy, the government called him because he got so much right about the subs in the 80s that they wanted to know who was feeding him information. Um, they had in the 70s, one of the James Bond characters had one of those mouthpieces. It was like an underwater swim thing that was supposed to let him breathe just through his mouth. And the government actually reached out and wanted a copy of that so they could issue it to their special forces. People it was like, no, it's not real. Yeah. He was really just holding his breath. Um yep. so it's it's funny that sort of interaction between fiction and reality when it comes to those those organizations. Oh, so
1: transitioning a bit away from uh JR's nerd out there, um <laughs> into some fan stuff. Have you spotted someone reading one of your books in the wild?
2: I have I have not. Uh of course, then when I'm in the wild, it's usually literally the wild. Uh <laughs> but I have had other people tell me they've seen oh yeah i saw someone reading your book today which was kind of cool to think that you know there's just some random character out there reading my book
1: (laughs) that is awesome and and you know they must have liked it so that's great right because they're not reading it just because they know you
2: right right yeah exactly like
1: i I look at my mom and i'm like yeah you only say that because you know me so (laughs) <laughs> but so hold
0: on before we move on, this is a point where we should also remind you if you're that random person out there reading it, be sure to leave a review that helps.
2: Oh, yes. absolutely.
1: Yeah. Most definitely review everywhere that you can. And, uh, but transitioning into some fun stuff. Have you had any fun fanny fan interactions since you started writing?
2: Well, there was, <laughs> I don't know. Is it so much an interaction, but there, there, I I did a a short story that got published in uh, an anthology called six guns straight from hell volume three. And it's, uh, these are horror stories set in the old west. And my short story was titled my nameless beast. And when I was working with the, excuse me, the editor, Uh, At the the very end, and this this kind of is a spoiler here, but it has to be to get the point. At the end, uh, I reveal the horse's name as being Lucifer. And when I wrote it up, basically the last sentence was essentially, I finally knew the name of my horse, And colon Lucifer. And the editor said, you know, I think at this point, we need to trust the reader that they're going to figure it out and we can just leave lucifer off and it's you know a little more dramatic then and, and so forth and i was like, all right okay well when he published the book he left lucifer off but he left a semicolon instead of a period and one of the uh reviews on amazon i think it was one of the readers said I still don't know what the name of that damn horse was (laughs) and it just cracked me off and I was like oh and of course I didn't have any way to respond and let them know what it was but that just tickled me because we had this discussion how yeah they should have figured it out by now and someone still just just missed it and I can understand wanting to you know see it there but uh that one i I wish i could meet that person and and just shake their hand and give them a hug and say yep this this is what it was
0: those can be funny questions the way editors read things and sometimes the way we as authors do yep i've still i've still loved some of the back and forth about when you talk about future worlds whether they'll still be paperwork oh no it'll be wireless okay if you say so (laughs) yeah
2: yep doesn't matter what
1: format it is. If I have to fill in a box, it's paperwork. Pretty much. So, um, have you had any funny, weird interactions with the fans since you started writing?
2: Not really. No, nothing that that jumps to mind. Uh, I there is uh, one individual who who's a, a friend of mine who, when he found out. That I was writing and had written some books, he picked them up and read them and would just love them. And he seemed completely flabbergasted by the fact that I could write. Uh, so that was kind of entertaining to see him kind of looking at me like, "Dude, this was really good." It, like he was surprised. I'm like, "Well, thank you, but you know." <laughs> I was gonna ask him why. It's one surprised? of those. Can
1: you sound less surprised at that, please? <laughs> yeah. I understand this. I've had that discussion.
2: Exactly.
0: So what would you do if you were coming on a scene and the person you're going to arrest was actually reading your book when you showed up? Would you like maybe put the cuffs not so tight on them that time? Or, or how do you think you'd <laughs> react to that one? Uh,
2: yeah, that that's a good question. I, I If I had to arrest someone who was reading my book, I, I might say, you know, okay, listen, you, you need some time to finish that? Or do you want me to just tell you how it ends? You know,
0: <laughs> Well, sounds like they would have nothing but time. So maybe leave the. Leave him something to keep him occupied.
2: Exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what? Hold on. Close that. You're going to have plenty of time later. You know, uh, you're going to want to read that later.
0: All right. Sorry. That was just a random thought that popped into my head. They, they happen that way. Look,
1: Squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have many thoughts, so we let him voice them as many as he can in a day just to see how far he gets. Um, but having said that, can you give us the highlight? Reader's Digest version of your body of work so far.
2: Sure. So my first novel is called Solomon's Seal. Uh, It was uh, kind of a demon story, if you will. As a matter of fact, uh, after I wrote it, got it published, I discovered the TV series Supernatural and was watching that. And I thought, you know, dang, this this book could kind of be an episode, if you will, uh, or more of a spin-off movie from, from Supernatural, because there were a lot of similarities in, in what was happening in that book. Uh, essentially, uh, a family, um, their the soul of their unborn child is stolen by a demon, and they have to find and, and kill the demon before she gives birth or the child will be born permanently possessed. And that was a, that was a fun story to write. Uh, I started that one when we were living in uh, Saratoga Springs, New York. Uh, and that was, that kind of sprang up out of a what if moment. And it's kind of funny because I don't even think the what if moment ever appears in the novel. I think I ended up cutting it out of there. But that that was my first novel that was published in twenty nineteen. Uh, then I did a novella uh, that was published in twenty twenty or January twenty twenty one. Excuse me, and that was called the Hawthorne Blow, and that's a ghost ship story. Uh, I did that as kind of a just a fun. Uh, it's you know it's a it's a horror story, but it's not. Uh, again, super gory. It would be appropriate for, uh, you know, middle age and up uh, because not a lot of, you know, harsh language or anything in it. Uh, I, I think that's just a good ghost story that takes place in Houghton, Michigan, which is up here in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, with Lake Superior being right here, y- you got to kind of write something about Lake Superior. Uh, and that's kind of where that came from. And then the Biting Cold is, is my new one that uh, is coming out uh, February 25th. It's available. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that one fly off the shelves. So,
0: <laughs> And if you're uh, watching this over on the YouTube, you can see that's the cover that's up. So obviously, that's what we're here to talk about. So how did you come up with the premise for this, uh, this story? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, uh, overindulging in hot chocolate on a cold winter night?
2: Well, I I fell out of a tree stand and landed on my head, and uh, when I came to, this was uh, floating around in there, and that's kind of the way it came out. Actually, this particular story, uh, there is, and it's referenced in the book, up in Copper Harbor, Michigan, which is where uh, the story takes place, uh, and... for your listeners who aren't (laughs) familiar with the upper peninsula of Michigan. And unfortunately there are a lot of corporate giants who aren't familiar with the upper peninsula of Michigan and they leave it off of maps. Uh, But there is a peninsula attached to Michigan's upper peninsula that juts northward into Lake Superior. And that's called the Keweenaw Peninsula. And basically up at the tip of that is Copper Harbor. Now, the Keweenaw Peninsula gets, you know, you're talking around 300 inches of snow every year, uh, a lot of snow. So we like going up there and, and visiting Copper Harbor. It's beautiful. And there is kind of out in the woods, That's it's not uh, a public place, but there is a petroglyph, uh, a carving on a stone of a Viking ship. And there's been a lot of debate about: Is this, you know, legitimate? Was did Native Americans carve this after seeing a, a Viking ship out in Lake Superior? Uh, did that get put there, you know, in more recent history and just as a you know piece of art? Uh, and there's there's debate both ways whether it's you know really old or not so old. Anyhow, that particular carving kind of sparked an idea in my head that perhaps it was a marker left by the Vikings for some purpose. And from that, I, uh, I created the Biting Cold.
0: Okay. So before we begin, um, to the biting cold, which is what we're here to talk about. We're going to take a second. The cover's already on the screen, but can you tell us the story of this cover? Did you see this when you fell out of the tree stand as well?
2: <laughs> no. Uh, the lighthouse does figure prominently in the story. Uh, but the the cover itself, a good friend and colleague of mine uh, named Dan Bennett, uh, who was chief of police and, and, uh, director of public safety at Michigan Technological University for several years. Uh, he and I were, were buds. And when he found out I was writing this book, he, he is also a photographer. And he said, well, shoot, if if there's a photograph of mine that you want to use for the cover, let me know. And he shot me a, a ton of photographs and this was actually done from one of his photographs, and then he uh, used Photoshop, I believe, uh, to add the, the snowy effects. Uh, but he essentially designed the, the cover art, and uh, I'm, I'm very thankful to him for having done that. Unfortunately, he uh, died this past fall uh, before uh, being able to see it come out in print. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to provide some copies to his to his family uh, with signatures, sad, of course. But,
0: but that it's, it's touching that uh, he is now immortalized wherever, as long as this book exists, his art exists. So yep. there is something to that. So, uh, right, before we continue, dear listener, dear viewer, we're going to pause for a second where we shamelessly shill for the man.
3: When a strange symbol is found at a burned-down historical site, Houston arson investigator Amy Aninzo goes to work. As mysterious and inexplicably hot fires break out across the drought-ravaged city, she finds herself digging through the ashes of history. It's a race against time to track down the serial arsonist and explain the seemingly impossible heat of the fires. As strange evidence begins to pile up, Amy wonders if the arsonist is insane, or even worse, possessed. Can Emmy and her colleagues find and stop him before the entire city burns? Parsec award-winning author Paul E. Cooley wraps ancient mythology around an eerie contemporary tale that will leave you burning for more. Gare's Inferno, a free podcast novel available from shadowpublications.com and iTunes. Some mysteries shouldn't be solved.
0: All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. I, uh, I had to mute Doc because I was going to cut her off before her next question, but you know she's bossy, so I got to get somewhere I can. Uh, and as long as there's several states between us, it's relatively safe for me to do so. But all right, Doc, the next question is yours.
1: Oh, I'm going to send you COVID to your mailbox. No, I'm kidding.
0: Wait, is that even even...
1: you know what? We've got an FBI agent here. We probably shouldn't make that joke. But just <laughs> no, have a we're on probably team and so we probably put I... jail. So. Um, I am going to send you a uh, pineapple on your pizza though.
2: So. That is
0: heresy
1: and that is a true crime. Hey, can you arrest her for that? Is that like
0: a crime where you would send her to jail, Matthew?
2: I'm sorry, you were both muted. I didn't hear anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the FBI has no official stance. All right, time to write my congressman.
1: Okay, so can you give us the 30-second elevator pitch of the novel?
2: sure uh the harsh winters of michigan's upper peninsula can kill the unprepared but what it awakens will kill everybody
1: well that's very thorough
0: in under uh, 30 seconds so you I know prize. i'm very I impressed
1: so what is it that makes your series is this a series first of all
2: uh it it I may do a second, although I don't know if I'd go beyond that. Um, I do have ideas for a follow-up novel. So if
1: people like this enough, you'll make it a duology is what I'm hearing.
2: Right, yeah. That
1: is a legit answer. So. And when you uh, type duology,
0: WordPerfect does not believe it's a real world and it keeps trying to correct you.
1: Well, (laughs) I don't care.
0: I'm just throwing that out there.
1: Jr. You can throw whatever you want out. doesn't mean it's going to stick. So um, you've talked some about kind of the world creation, but what is it that you think you really took in the way of tropes and really hit on with this?
2: Well, this particular novel, uh, trope-wise, it's a crucible. So uh, the group of characters is essentially cut off, which – (laughs) <laughs> like I described, with 300 inches of snow a year, doesn't take much of an imagination to figure out how you could get cut off. Um, but it's a crucible story. Um, another central trope, if you will, is kind of the uh, parent-child conflict that could be resolved if anyone knew how to communicate. So those, like those two... My life. those two figure prominently in this novel
0: okay so we've mentioned that this because there's a speculative fiction podcast so obviously it fits in speculative fiction but what subgenres or genres other than that do you feel like this story fits into
2: well uh thriller and horror of course uh I like action um I I don't like well I don't I can't say I don't like uh when I'm writing, I like to write action. Uh, This one, I I do spend a little more time kind of laying out the characters at the beginning, uh, which was a little bit tough for me. I did throw some action in there, trust me. (laughs) But uh, so there is the thriller element in this book for sure uh, because I enjoy reading it and I enjoy writing it as well. And, of course, (laughs) the horror aspect, again, uh, this has kind of an unusual horror aspect that uh, most people aren't going to see coming. Uh, And I did that intentionally, I think probably because I admire the way Stephen King can take things that... uh, that everyone knows about uh you know spiders or um dinosaurs or whatever and and he can just make them so doggone creepy that and and horrible in some way uh, that he can make an entire story about it uh you know i'm thinking like the mist for example Uh, and i wanted to do something similar to that uh so uh, without going into too much spoiler detail uh it's it's something that most people won't see coming um they might start to figure out just before the reveal
0: okay so does that if you mentioned you know with some of the horror stuff you mentioned does that mean you're also a fan of the old hitchcock like uh stuff and the birds the movie that came out because it sort of has that same creeping horror vibe to it
2: yeah i hitchcock uh, yeah, kind of, I was a little more partial towards, uh, the twilight zone, uh, kind of the, the weirdness style horror, if you will. Uh, for example, um, I don't recall the name of the episode, but it was, uh, the one where the guy shows up at a couple's home and says, uh, here's a box. And if you push the button on the box, You will get a million dollars and you have uh 24 hours to decide but understand this if you push the button on the box someone somewhere in the world someone you don't know will die and you'll get the million dollars and they go through the whole episode debating whether or not they're going to push push the button on the box and he says and before he leaves he says of course I'll be back in 24 hours to to collect the box and see what your decision is. So when he comes back, they decided to push the button and they push the button and he gives them a million dollars. Then he takes the button or the box with the button on it back and he looks at them and he says, now I'm gonna take this box and I'm gonna go somewhere, somewhere in the world and give this box to someone you don't know. And that's how the episode ends.
0: <laughs> Ooh,
2: And yeah, that that kind of horror, I, I, I just love it because it's it, it sneaks up on you.
0: All right. So this is where we start talking about the story itself. So what can you tell us about the main character? What makes them stand out in the crowded field of science fiction and fantasy?
2: Well, as I, I told you before, I am a fan of the everyday man and he is he is the everyday man he uh is a fishing charter captain uh in the summer and runs a plow service in the winter but uh divorced uh has an estranged son who has to join him up in copper harbor uh when his uh wife passes but he is resourceful and never gives up. Uh, Up here in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, there's a lot of people of Finnish descent and they have a phrase for people and their quality that's called sisu. And what sisu is, is kind of uh, uh, guts, determination, stick-to-itiveness. And uh, Bill, my protagonist, has Sisu. He doesn't give up, he doesn't panic, he's stoic, but he doesn't give up. And I think because he's so normal, uh, he doesn't have superpowers, he's not, you know, some great marksman or anything like that. I think he's relatable and and most people have met someone like Bill uh, and that's something I think uh, will attract readers to him uh, and and make him a sympathetic character. So he's got Sisu. uh, He could be your next door neighbor. Uh, Just uh, like I said, wanted to try to try to create that every guy that someone knows.
0: Okay, what are there any secondary characters that were especially memorable for you when you were writing this story?
2: Yeah, this there's a, there's a, <laughs> a couple of them actually. Uh, one is one is a brewer, and uh, that's that's one of my pastimes. I'm a home brewer, and and I know a lot of the local uh, brewmasters in town here. But there's there's a character. Uh, her name is Trillium Trillium Joy. And she goes by trill and trillium is a, is a wildflower that grows up here in the spring. And she's what we would refer to as a youper hippie, Uh Jooper being someone from the upper peninsula. Uh, she's a youper hippie, a, a teenage girl who is very into nature. She spends her spare time pulling, uh, invasive weeds, <laughs> uh, things of that nature, uh, loves nature, but won't hesitate to kill a deer. To call the herd, you know, because it has to be done. And uh, she is outdoorsy, uh, she is resourceful, and very easygoing. And I think everybody's going to love Trill because of the type of person she is. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I certainly enjoyed writing her.
0: <laughs> okay. Everybody needs a hippie in their life, I guess.
2: I guess, yeah. The the brewer he's he's kind of a hoot too he uh, he's a guy who enjoys his energy drinks and uh, <laughs> so he's...
1: what is he brewing?
2: Oh beer? Beer. He's, yeah, okay. he works. I used little... to brew
1: cider, so I used to brew hard cider. So
2: okay,
0: I would yep. like to yep. get into that, but I just don't know chemistry well enough, and uh, that's all too sciencey. So Dude, I just If Eleven Bravo
1: store. can do it, you can do it.
0: I'll figure it out one day. One day I'll get it right. I tried to make some, and it was undrinkable. So. <laughs> But Doc, your favorite question, the evil villain.
1: That's not my favorite question, but it is a fun question because I am a villain. We all know it. So do you have a main villain that you can talk about or is it too much of a spoiler?
2: Well, there is uh, obviously the, the main villain, which I can't really talk about. But the secondary villain, there is certainly one that Uh, Bill, the protagonist, um, butts heads with for sure. And uh, as far as confronting him, Bill is kind of frustrated in this particular story because he never really gets to. Um, That's not to say that he isn't confronted by proxy, but (laughs) uh, yeah, he, he is kind of uh yeah well everyone will identify him as the uh resident jerk for sure so uh yeah he's he's a good villain people will identify with him they'll go oh yeah (laughs) you know i know that kind of person um and uh yeah i guess that's enough said without spoilers
0: that's good because we do not like spoilers we want you to buy the book and read the book people so and if you said this is wide, so it is not in Kindle unlimited correct
2: uh, right it's it's on uh, ebook it'll be paperback uh, you can order it from your local bookstore um, so yeah anywhere you go you could walk in and say hey can I order a copy of the biting cold by Matthew Hellman and they say oh let me look yep <laughs> and they can order it uh, some bookstores in some uh, of the cities kind of in the med- Midwest here uh, may have it on the shelves uh, very soon. Uh, but yeah, you'll definitely be able to order it. And yeah, it's, it's available for purchase on Kindle, um, Kindle Unlimited. Uh, I don't recall how much it'll be off the top of my head though.
0: So will it be an audiobook as well?
2: Yeah. Uh, it, it may eventually be an audiobook as well, too, although uh, right now there are not plans to do that yet.
0: Okay. All right, Doc, you get to ask your next favorite question, which is what I say every time when I need a segue, whether it's her favorite question or not, if you haven't noticed.
1: JR's not very creative. That's why we make him do the the worksheets every week. So how how would your characters react if they knew who you were and they ran into you in, like, a dark alley? <laughs>
2: I'd probably get a couple different reactions. Uh, the protagonist would probably, Bill would probably punch me in the face and then buy me a beer. Uh, but, uh, they would, they would probably first words out of their mouth would be really, uh, you know, whiskey, Tango, Foxtrot, uh, <laughs> because it is kind of an unusual situation that they are, are put through. Um, yeah, it was it was fun writing, but I am sure I wouldn't I would not want to go through it. I can tell you that.
0: So I would have thought you would have gone with a make you a beer instead of buy you one because then you could do a callback. But <laughs> but beer is still good, so you win. Yep. All right, Doc. I uh, I couldn't help myself with the beer question, which is why we really should get a sponsor that's uh, a beverage company because we talk about it so much. You'd think we had problems.
1: I. There, i you have many problems i'm fine
0: <laughs>
1: all right so, so go ahead doc i was going to ask about archetypes if he has a favorite one do you mind so do you have a favorite archetype matthew
2: i do i i really like the outlaw or the rogue archetype um they just i find them to be endlessly entertaining and so easy to use for entertainment uh having said that obviously the everyday guy is something i feel i can write pretty consistently uh but with without the rogue it's kind of like you know comedy uh duos you got to have you know the straight guy right uh and i have to throw other characters in there but and the rogue or uh outlaw is my favorite to to use because they are so unpredictable
0: okay so this is the part where we look behind the curtain to see how the sausage is made so when writing this book the biting cold were there any cool scenes that you cut that would make a interesting story for our listeners
2: yeah there was a, a scene yes that uh involved Trill and, and Bill's son, Brandon. And essentially I was going to, because Brandon is, uh, kind of a city boy with no outdoor skills yet. Uh, he was going to be with Trill in the midst of all the bad that's going on and forced into a position where they had to, uh, bust through some ice on Lake Superior in order to swim through the entrance to a cave. Uh, And once inside the cave, there were some other things were gonna happen that I can't really discuss. But that one, I I really wanted to work it in, but just the way the the flow of the story went, it it wasn't gonna work. And I I wanted to use it because uh, that's how resourceful, trill is uh but it would also show uh, brandon's uh, a, kind of a, a trace of that sisu and brandon as well uh because I, I can tell you what if you walk around up here in the middle of the winter last thing you want to do is jump into the water uh although there are people that will go swimming in the lake in the middle of winter uh they there are call people it
1: who do stupid things every day look at you yeah.
2: <laughs> they call it refreshing i call it no thanks Uh, but, um, you know, for someone who's not used to that, that would, that's something I think that would put them in a really desperate situation because now you're wet, you're in a cave, uh, you know, in the middle of winter. Yeah. Nothing good can come of that. So it would have been something that would really show, uh, Trill's resourcefulness
0: okay so finally what can you tell us about the universe itself in many stories the world where the story takes place is as much a character as a protagonist and antagonist so so what can we expect in this this world is it just modern earth sort of with the magical undertones or is there more to it going on
2: yeah it's it's uh kind of earth as it exists today uh but in the keweenaw peninsula which um There's not good cell service up there. (laughs) Uh, You are removed from a lot of technology. You're removed from light. Um, The trees are densely packed together, and the snow is unbelievably deep. Um, I did some videos on TikTok just showing how walking around in the snow without snowshoes would be just unimaginable. Um, I've... (laughs) I I tap trees, uh, maple trees in the springtime, and I always have to put on my snowshoes to go in to do it. And on occasion, when the snow is uh, like, you know, just a couple days old, and you go in, even on snowshoes, you'll sink up to your knees. And then every time you pull your snowshoe up, it's covered with snow. And I've gone a hundred yards and, and just been sucking wind and I work out a lot. And if you've never experienced that, you have no appreciation for how horrible having to run for your life through snow like that would be. And you couldn't drive a snowmobile through these trees. There's no way. I mean, it's just too dense, of uh, forests. And so it's a very unique environment up here. Uh, no cell phone service. Uh, it, it lent itself very easily to the crucible. Um, but it is, it is, uh, basically God's natural world up here.
0: Okay. That is a good answer and this cold scares me. So I don't want to go anywhere near it. Um, so I'll leave that for you. Brave people who want to play in the snow. Give me a hot, uh, Virginia sunshine any day of the week and twice on Sunday. But speaking of doc, the next question is yours. Is it? Yep, 31 cuz he already answered some questions. See, this is how we we try to look professional. And I type the comments in there for you dear listener. So doc can like pretend like she knows what she's doing, but you know what? I'm going to have to doctor pay this week. Jesus.
3: JR
1: um, I do have your address. Remember, your mother gave it to me because she likes me better than you. Don't make me send you pineapple on pizza. That's
0: cheating. You're not allowed to bring the mothers into this. This is like an unspoken rule.
1: I'm sorry. You always bring your mother into it.
0: <laughs> no, you're fired. Matt, you want a job? <laughs> All right, Doc. Ask the question. Pretend you're so a So every little...
1: Every literary universe has its own consistent rules of science, technology, magic, or just a general system of how things work. Can you explain what's going on in your book? So it sounds like it's modern day technology.
2: Yeah, it's modern day technology. Um,
1: And then is it a high magic system or like low magic or just, you haven't really outlined it just yet. So you don't Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah as far as high, low magic uh, what they're up against um, yeah it's it doesn't lend itself to your typical uh, tools if you will so they do have to think outside the box and uh, however in if you look at the world starting with Solomon seal and then Hawthorne Blow, and then The Biting Cold, uh, and, and perhaps the next in the series of The Biting Cold. One of the things that I think is going to be kind of consistent is the concept of uh, special weapons, like uh, it, by when I say special, like sanctified uh, weapons, weapons that do something just a touch unusual um, in... Solomon's seal it was it was a a pistol that uh was sanctified and and could actually shoot and kill a demon uh in hawthorne blow there was a knife that was involved uh so and i won't go into what i'm kind of conceiving of for the for the next in this series of the biting cold but uh, that kind of relic if you will uh, is is kind of a common theme
0: okay that's the relics can be fun so do you do you try to match them with like rumors of existing stuff or do you just try to make the relics up on your own
2: well a little both um for example in Solomon's seal there was uh one uh, uh A dagger uh, made of a special wood from uh, South America. Palo Santo. Anyway, I can't remember the the name off the top of my head, which, incidentally, uh, also made an appearance in one of the uh, Supernatural television uh, episodes. But, uh, yeah, so I do take some basis in in truth. And I, I like all of these things to be uh, essentially kind of centered on, on some true thing somewhere in history. Uh, I, I used, you know, the petroglyph here in the biting cold and, uh, I, I made up a legend of the entire village of Copper Harbor disappearing once before without a trace, but that concept is, is taken from true events that happened up in Canada. Um, in the early uh, early 1900s uh, really? well and, yeah and also there was a, a village up up in Canada the little trappers village or an Inuit village I'm sorry that a trapper uh, would frequent and he got there one day and there was literally no one there and he was like uh, what's going on and there were plates left on tables with food on them. Like people just up and left and they never figured out what happened to the, to the village. And it, it's, uh, it's still kind of a creepy, creepy question because, uh, no one knows. It was kind of like the, uh, colony in, in Virginia that disappeared a long time ago. At least they had a clue on that one. Um, Croatoan was, you know, scrawled on, on a tree. I was just uh, thinking
0: about that one.
2: (laughs) Um, but yeah, the one up in up in Canada, they never had a clue what happened to him, uh, and that's something I used in this in this story. So it's it's fun to use reality. Oh, well, as a matter of fact, the Hawthorne Blow is is uh, based on it. Well, not based on it is inspired by the story of the Lucerne, which was a three-master ship that sank in Lake Superior in a November storm uh, by Ashland, Wisconsin, and uh, the next day they found three of the crew members, because it sank in in relatively shallow water, so the masts stuck up out of the water a little bit, and they found three crew members clinging to the masts frozen in about three inches of ice. Ooh, that
0: sounds unpleasant. Yeah.
2: Inspiring uh, horror novel.
0: I could see that. So, all right, Doc. You see the
1: notes? I do see the notes. So, did you create any fantasy creatures that we're going to see in the book?
2: Uh, Create? No, not necessarily. I do utilize some and kind of base... I I base my creatures if you will on things people already kind of are familiar with you know some mythology science uh what have you um so yeah there is something that's that makes an appearance in this book that people will be like oh wow all right
0: (laughs) okay that um sounds relatively creepy so the um Interview is winding down, but before we wrap up, was there anything about the biting cold that we didn't ask that you wanted us to to know before we move on?
2: Uh, Anything about it that I would like you to know. Uh, It is a good representation of the spirit and hardiness of the people who live up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, If you've never been up here, through a winter um <laughs> i invite you to join uh, come up here and and join someone for a good long stay and it, and you'll see just how hardy and uh tough the people are up here and it's it's a good insight into that spirit
0: okay that is a a good selling point i guess um so Before we let you go, dear listener, this is where we like to remind you that your reviews and your thoughts on these books matter. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platform. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So... Uh, wherever this book is sold, uh, on all the different places, it is a wide, traditionally sold book. Uh, leave a review there. Uh, if you can't leave a review there because you checked it out from the library, then leave a review on a website that you created just to leave book reviews. Uh, you'll be a popular person. Authors will love you, and rumor has it when they get their 100th, 5th star review, they get a free unicorn. So, <laughs> you know, do your part, people. All right, so where can listeners or uh, viewers find you, Matthew?
2: Well, they, I do have uh, a website that I kind of keep upcoming news on, uh, and that's uh, MatthewHellmanAuthor.com. I'm also on Twitter uh, at MatthewHellman5. I'm on, you know, I've got an author profile on Amazon. Uh, I'm on Facebook uh, Matthew.Hellman.7549. That's long and ponderous. Uh, but if you look for Matthew Hellman author on Facebook, you'll probably find me. And I'm also on Instagram, uh, M. Hellman author. And lately just recently, I've started putting uh, uh, videos up on, on TikTok as well that uh, kind of tell're uh, kind of teasers for, uh, for the novel and, and for my novels. So you could uh, check me out there as well. And that's at M Hellman writer.
0: All right. We will add all of that to the show notes, people. So if you scroll down where you view this, you'll be able to see that. And you can click the links and do the thing and stalk as you do, but not too hard because he does work for the FBI. and He knows where you live. So. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash, fa- S, excuse me, backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Let me try that again a second time. Hopefully, I'll get it right this time. Twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send the hate mail, make sure you put in the uh, the, the description that's for Saskia because she answers all the hate mail. She loves that stuff. Uh, you can um follow us on facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash group backslash blasters and blades podcast you can follow us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades again Anchor.fm backslash Blasters Tech Antac Blades, where you can also support the show for as little as ninety nine cents a month. You can help keep the lights on and uh, keep our cheery disposition entertaining you for for many more episodes to come. Because who doesn't like to listen to bickering teenagers, right? I mean, sure. Uh, and then finally, you can support the show at BuyMeACoffee.com backslash Author JR Hanley. Again, BuyMeACoffee.com backslash Author JR Hanley. Uh, be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-host doc seska and nick garber duly intoxicated they will drink until their liver surrenders never surrender don't be stupid Jr. all right doc bring us home
1: okay thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the heartfelt love of nick garber who is still absentee i get to drink his rations though uh, JR, I am Saska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, indulging our love of cheesy jokes, nerd culture, and all things that go boom. And, of course, pineapple on pizza.